If I were 20 years younger, well, 30 years younger, I'd, I'd apply for the pastorate here myself. But uh, if I get up and go, it's got up and gone. <laughs> so, so, so I can't. Uh, well, let me tell you about last weekend. Last weekend, I went to my 60th high school reunion. I've been in healthier nursing homes. <laughs> I, uh, <laughs> I, I thought I was in bad shape, but... Uh, <laughs> Wow, bless her heart. Some of them were, uh, had aged. <laughs> there was about 30 there. My class had 90, uh, I think we had 98 maybe, something like that, and uh, 35 have already died. But, but it was fun. Uh, the, the younger ones we used to go to, you know, when we were young, we'd start about 6, and we'd leave there about 11, 30, 12, you know, we were in bed by 9.30, <laughs> and, we, and we started it at 6 o'clock. Well, well, I'm kind of still kind of getting used to seeing all these Hawaii shirts. I, you know, when I preached in Hawaii, um, I preached in the Lahaina Baptist Church, and the walls were lattice work. I mean, lattice work. And uh, a couple of cats got in a fight out there, and I had to wait for them to get through before I could finish <laughs> preaching. You ever heard two cats fight? I mean, they can get pretty loud. Well, I don't have any jokes for you this morning. I, uh, I will tell you that one time years ago, I preached to the president of the United States. This guy walked out of church who said, if you're a preacher, I'm Richard Nixon. <laughs> so I, I assumed he had no reason to lie. <laughs> well, um, again, I'm not calling this my last Sunday. I, I, I hope you uh, invite me back. Uh, and uh, if you do, I'll certainly come. Uh, I, I went to see the doctor this week, and he told me I needed a knee replacement. And so he gave me a cortisone shot to kind of get me through. But it just feels better to sit here for a while. And Joy told me, she said, now, if you want me to nurse you through that, you're going to have to wait till after football season. <laughs> so I got a shot to kind of buy me a few months, I hope. She's a SMU graduate and uh, has season tickets to all the SMU games, so we'll be going to those as much as we can. Uh, I want you to open your Bible this morning. I want to read uh, the text that Jesus preached his first sermon from. You know, Jesus had a text when he preached his first sermon. The Bible says he walked into the synagogue and they handed him the Bible and he opened it to, uh, it probably wasn't the Bible then, it was more like a scroll. He opened it to Isaiah and he began to preach. And when he got through, he sat down and said, this day the scriptures have been fulfilled in, fulfilled in your eyes. But uh, in Luke chapter 4, beginning in verse 18, Jesus was again uh, quoting from the book of Isaiah. But he was speaking of a fulfillment of himself. <clears throat> and he said, <clears throat> The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captive. Now, watch this to recover sight to the blind. A lot of my preacher friends say, Well, this is talking about spiritual sight. No. Uh, if it's spiritual sight, then you had to have it to recover, okay? They never had it. So he's not talking about, he's talking about physical. He's talking about blindness, I believe, in my humble but accurate opinion. 
uh, and um, to recover to recover the sight to the blind, to set free those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the uh, the favorable year of the Lord, which would have been the the year of jubilee. You know, just a casual reading of the New Testament tells us that Jesus knew how to draw crowds. Uh, let me share a few verses with you. For example, uh, Matthew chapter 4, verse 25, it says this, large crowds followed Jesus. Large crowds. Mark chapter 12, verse 37, it says, large crowds enjoyed listening to him. And uh, Mark chapter uh, 2, it says he was preaching in a building or some type of a large place, and it said it was so packed that in order to bring their friend in, you know, that was paralyzed, they had to cut a hole in the roof. Uh, another verse says that Jesus was pressed in by the people. Uh, Matthew chapter 14 tells us that he fed, that he had such crowds that following him that when he fed them, he fed 5,000 men. We don't know how many total people were there because it only says men. Maybe some scholars say that with, if you count women and children, there were probably as many as 15,000 people there. I've often wondered if Jesus had started a local church, how large that church would have gotten until the Pharisees turned the people against the people, of course. You know what the average size church in America is today? It's less than 100. And 85% of those churches are in decline, according to four different polls. Yet there was something about Jesus' ministry that was magnetic. He had a way of just uh, drawing people in. And let me tell you what I still believe. I still believe when we, if we minister the way Jesus ministered, we'll still draw a crowd. I believe that with all my heart. If we'll minister the way Jesus ministered, we'll still draw a crowd. Well, how did he draw crowds? What did he do? Well, first of all, let me say this. If, if we do that, we won't have to compromise the gospel. won't have to water it down. We won't have to entertain people. We won't even have to have fancy buildings. All we'll have to do is learn to minister to people the way Jesus ministered to people. Well, again, now let's look at the, how did he do that? I think if you look carefully at his ministry, you'll see three different things that he did that caused him to have the magnetic draw. The first thing he did was this. He loved the people. He loved people. He had a compassion for these people, and I'll talk about that more in a minute. Secondly, he met their needs, physical, mental, spiritual. He met the needs. Then thirdly, he, he taught them simplistically, but he taught them how to have abundant life. He taught through parables. He taught through stories that people could relate to and remember. But So let's just kind of break those three down for a moment. First of all, it says he loved people. You know, I believe, as I read the New Testament, I believe he loved to be around uh, unsaved people more than he did some of the Pharisees and the, quote, religious people. He went to their parties, he went to their weddings, and uh, they just enjoyed having him around, and I think anybody would. Listen to what the scripture says about him in uh, Luke chapter 7 and verse 34. It says, Jesus was a friend to sinners, a friend to sinners. In Luke 15 and verse 2, it says that he received, this man received sinners and, and eats with them. I wonder how many people that know us would say we're a friend of sinners. 
I wonder how many people that know this church would say, you know what, Oak Grove Baptist Church is a friend of sinners. You can come there and uh, they will befriend you. They'll love you. You know, the command to love is the command that's given more than any other command in the Bible. Over 55 times in the Bible, it says that we are to love. I hear churches say from time to time, but we're a, we're a loving church. What does that mean? Does that mean they love each other? Does that mean they love the people they feel comfortable with? Or does that mean that they love sinners? Jesus loves sinners. Um, do they feel comfortable? Do unchurched people feel comfortable when they come to our churches? They felt comfortable around Jesus. Again, he, he attracted them. Um, I'll tell a story about Joy. Joy's son graduated from SMU and moved to uh, Indianapolis. Of course, he was young and right out of college and didn't know anybody. And so Joy um, said to him, well, son, uh, go, go find a good church. And uh, when you get a fun, you find a good church, you'll meet some people and then you'll make some friends. So he, he went to church. So that night, of course, she called him and said, well, how did it go this morning? And he said, well, you know, I, I did go to church. Well, how was it? Not one, not one person in the church spoke to me. Not one person in the church spoke to me. I can't go into the full story because it'd take too long, but years ago when I was in Oklahoma, we remodeled our, our auditorium and we had to be out for seven Sundays. And so I went next door to the church that was, you know, I won't not say what denomination it is because it doesn't matter. But it was a denominational church, and uh, we were an alley apart. So I went over there, and I talked to the pastor. I said, look, we're going to have to be out of our auditorium for seven Sundays. Is there any way that you, you guys don't have church, uh, Sunday school till 930? Could we come over here, say, at 8 and have a worship service, and then we could go back to Sunday school? He said, no, let's don't do that. And my first reaction was, was, was disappointment. He said, let's show the community not only can we share a building, but we share the same God. He said, let's worship together for seven Sundays. I thought, oh, that'd be great. How are we going to do that? And he said, well, let's do this. He said, um, the day you preach, we'll have a, a Baptist um, choir and we'll do a Baptist order of worship. And the day that I preach, um, vice versa. You know, the day he preaches, they'll have, we'll have the Baptist and the day I preach, we'll have the, I won't say the denomination because it's, it's a wonderful denomination, but so, so we agreed to do that. So for seven Sundays, we, we worshiped together, and it was wonderful. His building was large, but his congregation was small, and so it, but here's what he did. I, I told him, I said, now look, I don't know how you do an invitation, but when we, have, when we give an invitation, we expect people to make decisions. We expect people to get saved. We expect people to join our church. And so he, I said, so we, on the day that you preach, will you, will you give an invitation for people to, you know, to respond? And, and he did. He called me down to the front. And he said, I want Barry to stand here by me because uh, he expects people to join his church. But now listen to what he said. He said, we have all the dead timber. Oh, we have all the dead timber on our church rolls that we need right now. And I could just see his uh, congregation just said, oh, no, 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 no. But he meant it. 
He meant it. You see, there's some churches that really don't welcome people. They, they say they do. Uh, I have a friend in uh, Waco that's told me on different occasions, he said, God's told me I'll never pastor a big church. Well, that's, in my opinion, I, that's not the reason. The reason is he's not willing to do the work. Anything that's alive is going to grow. You can't keep it from growing if it's alive. But he's not willing to do the work to have a large church, so he's content to have a, a small church. And, uh, I mean, I, 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 just, I want to see a church grow. I think a church should grow if it's alive. Uh, some churches uh, say, well, we don't have a lot of quantity in our belt, but we have quality. Baloney. Let me tell you something about quality. That's God's business. Quantity is our business. We're to go out and reach as many people as we can and leave the quality business to him. I told you this one time, but when I was in uh, a church in Oklahoma, uh, we baptized 250 people the first three years I was there. And so, consequently, you know, the church grew. And uh, these two men came in my office one day and just flat told me outright, we don't want these people that have come into our church. They're not like us. Well, my answer to that was, well, hallelujah. They're not like you. You know, there's a religious spirit that can get on people, and it's, it's not good. But uh, anyway, other churches say, well, you know, we're, 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 we're Bible-believing church. You know, a lot of Bible-believing churches are dying, dying. There's, a, there's an old saying that about, and it goes like this, people don't care what we believe until they believe that we care. When they believe that we care about them, then they'll care what we, what we believe. Uh, and you know, loving people, and especially loving lost people, that, that doesn't start in church. It starts right in here. When we go before the Lord and say, Lord, please burden me with the things that burden you. Lord, give me a burden for the things that burden you. You know what burdens God? Lost people burden God. The Bible says it's not his will that any should perish, but all should be called to repentance. The Bible says God takes no delight in the death of the wicked. And he wants to love them, and he wants to love them through us so desperately. I understand that penicillin was discovered accidentally. Is that right, Doc? Joe, is that right? Do you remember? Uh, I don't think he heard me. But uh, anyway, I've always read that uh, penicillin was kind of discovered accidentally. Well, what if we had cancer and we accidentally discovered a cure for cancer? But we kept that cure to ourselves. We weren't willing to share it with all the other many, many, many people that suffered and died from cancer. You know what that would be? That would be almost cruel. No, it would be cruel not to do that. Well, you know what we've done as Christians? We've discovered eternal life. We've discovered abundant life in Jesus Christ. And it would be so uncruel on our part not to share that with other people. Well, how do we do that? We do it in practical ways. We share our faith with people. We, we look for opportunities. We, we ask God for divine appointments to share our faith. When I eat in a restaurant, I always like to ask the waitress, we're getting ready to pray, or, or waiter, uh, 
We're getting ready to pray. Is there something we can pray for you about? I like to give tracts, gospel tracts to people. And when I hand them to them, I always say something like this to them. I say, this little booklet right here has changed my life. And I'll make you a promise. If you'll read it carefully, it could be a life-changing experience for you. Track ministry. Let me ask you a question. When somebody moves into your neighborhood, do you go see who they are? Do you go take them cookies? Do you go uh, say, hey, welcome to the neighborhood? Are you all new to the community? Uh, if you don't have a church home, we'd love to take you to our church. We'd love for you to be our guest. Do you ever do prayer walks through your neighborhood? I love to do prayer walks through my neighborhood. Now, I'll catch people out in the yard watering or something and walk up to them and say, hey, my name is Barry Camp, and I live down the street from here, and I'm just doing a prayer walk through our neighborhood. Is there anything I can pray with you about? You'd be surprised the response you get. Wow. Yeah, there's a plethora of things that... Um, th those, are, those are how you do it. You just do it in practical ways. Um, how do you do it at church? You look for new people. So, so many times when we come to church, we're looking for a place to sit and we're looking for our group to sit with. But what about looking for new people and, and going back up to them and say, hey, I, I don't know if I've ever met you. Do you, do you attend church here? Uh, they say, no, no, I'm a, I'm a, I've never been here before. Oh, wow, well, welcome. Why don't you come? Would you come and sit with us? We'd love to have you as our guest. Would you come and sit with us? Walk them out to the car when, when church is over and tell them how, how much that you're glad they came. Now, listen, this has to be something from the heart. This is not some mechanical thing that we do. It has to come from our heart, and uh, God will give us that. There's a saying that uh, you never have a second chance to do it, to have a first impression. And I believe that's true. Uh, when, when people came to Highland, I wrote them a, a letter when they first came. And I said, uh, you know, it was kind of a form letter, but, you know, their names on it. And I always personally hand signed it and put a smiley face on it and wrote two or three sentences of personal things to them. And then uh, when they came back, I wrote them a second letter, and I said, oh, you're a two-timer now. You've been here twice or, twice or more. That makes you a two-timer. And I hope your visits to our church means that you're interested in us because we're certainly interested in you. And then I would follow those letters up with a phone call. I called every person that visited our church on Sunday morning. And one night, I called this guy. He was about my age, I guess, um, based on what I saw on his visitor card. I called him, and um, he answered the phone. And I said, this is Barry Count, Pastor High Baptist Church, and I just wanted to call you and see how you're doing. He said, well, why are you calling me? I said, well, because you visited our church last Sunday morning. And I wanted to tell you personally, thank you for coming to, to our church. Uh, Gary, he was the guy you met at the restaurant a couple of weeks ago. Remember the couple that came up to our table? That's the guy, okay? So he said, well, he said, just a minute. And I found out that that night he had company. But because I had personally called him, he dismissed himself from the company, went back in the bedroom to talk to me. So we talked. The next Sunday he was back in church. He came up after church with tears running down his face. He said, I was the prodigal son that you called Wednesday night. 
I haven't been to church in years. And you're the first person that's ever expressed interest in me. And needless to say, now you can't run him out of church. He's in church every week. Uh, you know, love needs to be expressed in practical ways. Uh, I, I really believe this, that way before a visitor ever, ever joins, uh, well, I say way before the preacher ever gets up to preach, they've already pretty well made a decision if they're coming back. And they've made it based on how we treat them. Did we speak to them? Okay. And one of the things, and we did that today, and, I, and uh, we do it here regularly, and I think it's great. I, I, I used to tell our worship leader, always sing at least one hymn every Sunday that people recognize, feel comfortable with. Because we have a tendency to get in our churches and get our own little music going, and they come in, and they don't know any of the songs, so they feel a little bit uncomfortable. So, uh, so you know, we ended it with a beautiful hymn today. And then don't make it too loud. I don't know what it is today about these uh, younger churches, but they want to burst your eardrums. Uh, I mean, that's just to me, it's just absolutely not necessary. But I'll tell you something, the world is filled with lonely people. And sometimes behind that smile, there's a hidden hurt. And a warm handshake, a pat on the back, an appropriate hug goes a very long way and making a person feel comfortable. I've always felt like as a pastor that my job was not to impress people, but to influence people. You know, you can impress people from a distance, but you influence people by being around them. That's why from 1974 until 2011, I missed youth camp probably twice. And you know why I went to youth camp with those kids? Because I wanted them to know that I care about them. I wanted them to know that they were important to me. Because when they know that I care, and they know that I feel like they're important to me, they'll listen to me on Sunday morning. Isn't that right, kids? Okay, thank you. I'm glad you said yes, sir. You'd have made me look really bad. <laughs> oh, gosh. Fun, fun, fun. Again, again, all this is to be done from the heart. Now, now, let me say this. This is kind of a touchy area right here to a lot of churches, but uh, I'm going to say this. At Highland, we tried to show acceptance without approval because we had gay people that visited our church. You'd be surprised how many gay students visit our church. Now, here's the difference between acceptance and approval. Jesus accepted people without approving of their lifestyle. He accepted this Samaritan woman even though he didn't approve of her lifestyle. He, he, he accepted the woman at the well, even though he didn't approve of the fact that she had been married six times. He approved of Zacharias, even though he was a, 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 a tax collector that cheated people out of their money. Not only did he accept people, but he publicly defended a woman that was caught in the very act of adultery. Publicly defended her. He could have embarrassed her. He said, I don't condemn you, but don't keep up this lifestyle. You know, here's the thing. We want, uh, we want people to come to church after they clean up. It doesn't work that way. Do you want gays to come to church? Well, they're not going to change until they, they, God changes their heart. 
But somehow or another, you know, we want people to clean up before they come to church. That's not how Jesus welcomed people. He welcomed them just the way they are, were, but he loved them too much to leave them that way. So our policy was this. We, we're gonna, we will accept you, but not, not, we, acceptance without necessarily approval. Again, unbelievers act like unbelievers, don't they? I remember my first uh, little seminary church in uh, Irving, Texas, and I had a group of uh, teenagers that would sit way back in the back corner and they'd keep their motorcycle helmet on during church. And then when I walked down the aisle in order to go back to the back to greet people when they left, they'd kick cigarette butts out in the aisle. Let me know they'd been back there smoking and I didn't know it. You know what? I said, okay, I want you in church. I want you to hear the gospel. I didn't ask them to change their ways before we'd accept them in church. It didn't work that way. Jesus says accept people. Uh, they're not going to change until they hear the gospel. So, well, number two, I'm going to have to hurry. Y'all going to get through listening before I get through speaking, and that would be problem. He met their needs. Jesus met people's needs. He healed, he, he, uh, he, he healed the sick. Let me ask you a question. Uh, do we pray for the sick people? Is there a time in our service when we really, really ask sick people to come down here and kneel at this altar and we're going to not pray for them. We're going to pray over them. We're going to anoint them with oil in the name of Jesus. We're going to pray over them. Because you know what? That's what Jesus told his disciples to do on three occasions. He said, go preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick, and cast out demons. I believe there ought to be a time that uh, we give sick people an opportunity to be prayed over, okay? Not just for, but over. He cast out demons. Anybody here know how to cast out a demon except Ed sitting there? You know why you don't know? Because you've never been taught. You know why? Because Baptist preachers have a tendency to not preach on spiritual gifts, which Paul said don't be ignorant of, and they have, a, they have a tendency not to preach on demonic activity. Let me tell you something. These people that are walking into schools and looking these precious young people in the face and then blowing their heads off, that is not mental illness. That is demonic possession. God's given the church the authority over those demons in the name of Jesus. So, and he reminds us over and over, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. That's not our enemy. The weapons of our warfare are not physical, they're spiritual. They're pulling down these strongholds, casting down these vain imaginations. So, these are just things that Jesus told us to do, okay? You know, the greatest advertisement for your church is a changed life. It really is. Your church will never grow beyond your ability to change lives and meet needs. I believe that. Well, lastly, he taught them. He taught them uh, par by parables. He taught them through, by, by stories. I've had people say, well, my preacher, he just tells stories. Well, he's like Jesus. You know, there's something about stories, the prodigal son, you know, there's something about those stories that just helps us uh, understand the gospel and, and remember it.
Uh, listen to uh, John chapter 12 and verse 49. It says, this is what Jesus said. The Father has sent me to uh, and commanded me what to say and how to say it. The Father didn't just tell Jesus what to say. He told him how to say it. Do you know what we, how we say something is, most, is just as important as what we say? Isn't that right, wives? What your husband says to you, how he says it to you, isn't it just as important as what he says to you? You know what the Bible says? The Bible says we are to preach the truth in love. Preach the truth in love. There was a preacher in... in uh, Waco a few years ago told his congregation he said this congregation is not going to grow till you old people die then he told them one Sunday he said if you don't like the way I preach and like the way I minister there are the double doors and boy there's a loving guy isn't it well, can't you hardly, hardly wait to go hear him preach can you yeah I was talking to a man last Tuesday in uh, Jason's Deli, and I was asking him about going to church, where he went to church and so forth. Here's what he told me. He said, Barry, every time I go to church, I come home and feel like I've been beaten up. No. No, you shouldn't come to church to get beaten up. You should come to church to be loved, be accepted. Let me tell you something. I still believe that crowds will come and hear the good news. People need to hear good news. You know, there's so much bad news in our society today. You know what the word gospel means? Have you ever really broken that word down? It means good news. The gospel is good news. And people need to hear it. But here's the thing about it. You need to hear why it's good news. Now, some preachers will only tell you the good news, but they won't tell you the bad news. Well, to me, if I said to you, Ed, John is doing well, that's information to you. But if I said, Ed, John's doing well because he almost died, now that's good news, okay? Why is the gospel good news? Because the bad news is the wages of sin is death. The soul that sinneth it must die. The good news is that God loved us so much that he sent his son into the world to die for our sins so we don't have to. That makes it good news. Again, listen to what Jesus said a moment ago. He said he, he's come to do three things. He said, I came to uh, proclaim the gospel to the poor. wonder why he said poor. wonder why he just, just didn't say, well, I've just come to preach the gospel. But he specifically added the word poor. Because Jesus said, the poor you will always have among you. But you know, I go to churches today and they've got on these $1,000 suits and ties. And if you're a poor person, you walk in there. I, I don't know. You, I, when I was in junior high, I had two shirts. Two shirts. I wore one one day. My mother washed it. The next day, I wore the other one. So every other day in school, I wore the same shirt. Because I was poor. Remember I told you we used to go to Kentucky Fried Chicken to lick everybody else's fingers. <laughs> I mean, we were poor. And let me tell you something. I would not go to church every Sunday because I knew they'd recognize that shirt that I wore last Sunday. One of the things I love about this church is that you, I'm not saying you dress poor. No, you dress fine. <laughs> But there's a welcoming spirit here. 
for people to come in that don't have on suits and fancy dresses. That's the people Jesus hung around. He hung around poor people. And he loved poor people. He wanted them to be welcome there. Now I've got 50 shirts, unfortunately, but uh, they're mostly Hawaii. <laughs> they're mostly Hawaii. He came to set the captive free. You know, there's a lot of people help being held captive today by addictions, by strongholds. And uh, the church is here to set those people free. And we need to do that. People ought to be able to come to church. I remember one time uh, in Oklahoma, this, I was in the building by myself, and this young man came in, and uh, he said, are you the pastor? And I said, yes. And he said, well, I, I need to talk to you for a few minutes. And so we started talking, and it became very obvious to me that he was demonic, well-dressed. I mean, he was a nice-looking young guy. And so I said, look, let me, let me just start praying for you. Now, you start praying in the name of Jesus, you're going to rouse those demons. Like, I promise you that. Well, I got behind him. I got in the chair behind him, and he was young, college age. When I started praying, he started manifesting. That usually means cursing in a vile language, a guttural language, and I just held on with all I had, you know, the strength of the Lord. And I held him in that chair, and he, he tried to get up, wanted to get up. But, but finally, in the name of Jesus, he just limped, and the, the, the demon's thing was gone. A couple of days later, this nice guy came by the office and was trying to thank me. I said, excuse me, jog my memory. I, have we met before? He said, I came by the other day, and you prayed for me. Remember? I said, that's you? Yes, that's, that's me. His very countenance had changed to the point that I didn't recognize him. I'm telling you, people out there need to be delivered. They need to be delivered. And God said, Jesus said, I've come to do that. And then he said, I've come to restore sight to the blind. Again, I believe he's talking about physically healing people because that's what he did. Nobody that ever came to Jesus uh, went away that uh, he didn't heal them. You know, of course, if, if, if they wanted it, if they sought it. And uh, I've, already, I've already said that many, many times that I believe that healing is a part of the gospel message. should not be left out. We ought to minister to the total person. Um, Jesus told his disciples in uh, Matthew 10 and uh, Mark, I think it's Luke 10 and uh, Mark 16, he said, go preach the gospel of the kingdom, heal the sick and cast out demons. Okay? Now, I believe most people come to church not to hear truth, but to be, but to find uh, relief. They do. They come to church to find, to find relief, relief from some of these things that Satan has attacked them with. And um, this is what Dale Moody said. Dale Moody said the Bible is not given to increase our knowledge, but to change our lives. Jesus came to uh, that we might have life, not religion. And what we need to do today, I believe with all my heart, is when we preach the gospel, we need to make it relevant. Relevant. I tell young preachers, you know, you can get up in the pulpit and say stupendous edifice, and, or you can say large building. Three people in the building might know what a stupendous edifice is, 
But most of the people in church are going to know what a large building is. I mean, I don't have to try because I was never intelligent to start with. You know, I mean, honestly, I graduated, I think, 86 out of a class of 92. I, <laughs> I wasn't the brightest light in the chandelier. But uh, I graduated from college on an academic scholarship because uh, God can change, change us. He can change us. Okay, I think I just lost my leg. No, I didn't. So I tell young preachers, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm from the country. Just put it in the trough and let them graze. All right? Don't preach over their heads. My goal when I preach is a 12-year-old. Is there, is there any 12-year-olds in here? 12-year-old. Those are my goal right there. It, it, I want those 12, I want people, I want that age group to be able to understand what I'm saying. Because if that age group can understand what I'm saying, older people won't have a problem. Does that make sense? So don't, you know. All right, I'm going to close with a warning. Uh-oh, you've already closed. <laughs> Here's a warning, and I say it from my heart with a broken heart, but I'm going to say it. If you start ministering the way Jesus did, you're going to come under criticism. Did you hear me? If you start ministering the way Jesus did, you will come under criticism. Maybe from your denomination, maybe from other churches. Uh we used to be criticized at Highland. I remember one day this woman said, why did people tell us to be, be, be leery of y'all? I don't know. Uh, they used to call us High Hands Highland. Oh, there's High Hands Highland. Well, what does the Bible say? Lifting up holy hands without wrath and dissension. So, are you willing to be criticized for Jesus' sake? One of the greatest reasons churches are held back is because of the fear of man. And if you're more concerned about what people down the street think about you than what God thinks about you, you'll hold back. But if you say, you know what? We want to minister the way Jesus did. And we're going to preach the gospel of the kingdom. We're going to pray for the sick. We're going to offer deliverance to people. Great. But be ready for the criticism. Jesus knew how to draw crowds. And I'll tell you again, and then I'm, then I'm done. If you will minister the way Jesus ministered, you'll draw a crowd. People are hungry for reality. They're hungry for the gospel. They're hungry for the relevance of the gospel. Amen, young people? I sure enjoyed, I sure enjoyed y'all being here on Sunday mornings. Wow, it's been neat. It's been really neat. Y'all group, good group. Okay, you can invite me back. Are y'all young who are going to invite me back? <laughs> okay, you invite me back and I'll be back. All right, love you. Let's stand.